0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Plant family, I wanna thank you for joining us for our Advent series. It is week two in our Advent series and we are excited for what God had taught us last week and now we're going to be diving into the scriptures again. So let me begin by saying this, getting the word out about something important is easier than ever. Each one of us has big news that at times we want to share, whether it be a a business venture, whether it be an investment, whether it be just announcing something important in your life, there are more ways to share your big news than ever before. Whether it be social media, whether it be Kickstarter, whether it be GoFundMe, no matter what it is, you want to make sure that you have the greatest reach to people in order to share your big news. And so the main thing is making sure that the right people Hear your big news. And so, what you want to do is you want to inform family and friends and also your circle of influence. And not only your circle of influence, you want to inform people who also have circles of influence. So, think about this how would you share your big news? Would you do a grand opening or a soft lunch? Would you use social media or send a letter? And so if you were going to share your big news, this is what you need to do. Go big or go home. This Advent, though, what we're going to study is that instead of God going big for the whole world to hear, he was going to do something that was very upside down something very different than what we are going to learn about someone else who had some big news, that his news was going to go to an unlikely audience because his big news was for those who were willing to hear. My question is, why would God do such an announcement? One, that we will learn that the means that he did his announcement was very much upside down. And that is the title of our sermon series, An Upside-Down Christmas. So I want us to pray, I want us to open the scriptures, and I want us to dive in to see what God wants to speak to us. Would you pray with me? Father God, I want to thank you for this time that we have together. I ask you that you would allow us to be able to dive into the scriptures and read how our means, our human means of announcing things or even who we invite to our big news opportunities are often very different than how you announced the most important message of all and also the audience who you had shared it with. God, I ask you that your word in Luke chapter two would speak to our hearts, would speak to our souls and we would be able to see that your ways are upside down, but they're upside down for one purpose, God, in order to turn our world's right side up. Holy Spirit, be with us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter two, verse one. It says in Luke chapter two, verse one, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So I've been saying this often. If you've been coming to the plant at any stage of the plant's history is, history speaks so much to what the author of the scriptures were trying to speak to. And so the author was speaking by talking about the historical setting, the importance of the historical setting, and how God was going to show up at that particular time with his particular plan that to us and our humanists seemed like a very unlikely plan. So historically speaking, right away, we see the author points out that Augustus was in power. He was the Roman emperor. And what's so interesting about Augustus is this, is that he was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. And Augustus's name was actually changed from its original name, which was Octavian. Now, as you look at this whole narrative and what we're going to be jumping into, there's something that we want to learn. Why was his name changed from Octavian to Augustus? The word Augustus means majestic. And so the Roman Senate had deliberately given Augustus this name to make him godlike. They wanted to give him a godlike status that they were trying to communicate throughout the Roman Empire. And here's what's very interesting. People were not hesitant to offer their worship to Augustus. He had taken and had been part of of a lineage that has established and had taken the Roman people to be a people of authority and power that was spreading globally. Rome had a global influence. And what they had brought was they had established both peace and civility to their land. And so the people were quick to offer their worship. And so for Rome, for the people of Rome, they were saying we were willing to offer our worship because he was godlike. And so for the whole world to watch this worship that Rome was giving to Augustus, they were willing to do the same thing. But here's the unfortunate part. You had the Jewish people who were living under the authority and the reign of Rome. And so their dream of this Messiah King had been slowly fading away. It had almost seemed that that God had still had them on His mind. That, That their land was still the map. Jerusalem, that area, that region of the world, was still on the map of God. ...for the Messiah King to be born and to reign. And so here you have this this setting. But what I had pointed out last week... ...what there was still a minority of people... ...who believed the ancient prophets. That God still had them on their mind. And that God still had a plan... And what we had talked about last week was that God's plan was not our human plan. But actually, God's plan was an unlikely plan who was using unlikely people to be part of his plan. And so, let's continue historically looking at this passage. What is so unique about this passage is that there was a point in history when we opened the scriptures to this page that Augustus was going to take a census. And there wasn't a census taken in some time, but Augustus wanted to take a census to prove his power, to prove his authority. It was was actually a a move of arrogance. It was a move of intimidation. It was was a move to have a fanfare, to, to really find the total number of people that he was overseeing the total number of people that were offering him his worship. This was a big announcement. This was a big event. And people like Joseph and Mary had to go back to the lineage, the hometown of their lineage, for them to be part of the census. But here's what's interesting. What Augustus did not realize is his demand for a census God was going to use to announce his big news. That his son, his eternal son, his Messiah king son, God was going to use this census and this period of time to announce his big news. The difference about his announcement and Augustus' announcement is that Augustus was declaring he being king, a temporary king, an earthly king, God's announcement was that his king, his child was going to be Emmanuel, God with us, an eternal king, a heavenly king. And and so really what we need is we, we need that background to understand what we are about to read next, that there was a historical event that God was going to use to announce his big announcement, but the difference was He was not going to pull in Augustus. He had an unlikely plan, and he also had a very unlikely audience. Let's continue in the passage. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. When we read this passage, I think sometimes we just kind of skip over this, but, but we need to identify when was this in the, in the birth narrative of Jesus. This was the night that the child was born. A setting in a small town called Bethlehem where a young couple were in a stable and their child was lying in a manger. No fanfare no visitors expected to celebrate this birth. And here's what's sad: This picture of the birth of this child is such a lonely scene. We really do need to identify that, that people knew that Mary had traveled to go not only to the census, but was going to more than likely deliver this child. There was no mom, there was no dad. There was no mother-in-law or or father-in-law. Not even Elizabeth had shown up. This is a very sad picture of a birth narrative. Because very rarely do you hear someone who had a child and people don't show up to the hospital, people don't call and check in on them. And so all they were surrounded by was hay and livestock. This was probably one of the most Humble pictures of any birth narrative. A very unlikely scene for any birth narrative. But God had an unlikely plan to announce the birth of his son. And so God was going to make this grand announcement to celebrate the birth of his child, but also to celebrate himself. Everyone should have been ready. Everyone should have been prepared for for what was to happen. As we learned last week that, that 700 years ago, that there were prophecies written about this child that was going to be born to a virgin girl. And when you really study scripture, you see that it was so pinpointed to where this child would be born. God did not leave out any details. The problem was people's ears And hearts were closed to God still being the God of impossibilities. And so, what did Jesus do? Jesus was born in a stable. And what did God do? God did not go to the streets, God did not go to the palace, God did not go to Augustus. He went to the fields. He went to a group of people that were probably the only people that night who were awake. The people in Bethlehem were more than likely asleep. The people in the communities, surrounding communities, were more than likely asleep. But God knew that there was going to be one audience that would have been awake, and it was shepherds. Unlikely people, an unlikely audience. Shepherds. Who were shepherds? Uneducated men who made a living herding livestock. And what's really sad is that, that sheep were their only value in that life. Their only major commodity to who they were as, as men were, were that animal in which they had to consistently herd. And the only thing that made them really special is because these sheep, this commodity, had a sacred role. And it was that of being the sacrificial animal one of the main sacrificial animals that people would bring to the temple during Passover. Shepherds were outsiders. Shepherds were misfits. They were an unlikely audience for an unlikely announcement. And so you have this image that the whole world was asleep. The whole world was closed off to to any announcement except for that of Augustus' announcement. And God said, time out. If you're going to sleep through history, I will reveal myself to those who are awake. Let's continue in the passage. "Don't be afraid," he said the angel. Now now think about this. The angel always says that. "Don't be afraid. Why? Because it would be really, really freaky for an angel to show up in any of our houses in the middle of the night. Correct? Yes. But the angel always says, "Don't be afraid." And in fairness, the, angel, the shepherds were probably thinking, why would an angel appear to us? Were we here to be reprimanded or blessed? We're shepherds. There's no reason to bless us. The only blessing in our lives are these sheep that will one day be sacrificed in the temple. And so they're probably thinking, what do we do? Have we messed up? We are misfits. We, out, we are outliers. We are we are the uneducated. We are the, the, the kind of the, those on the outskirts of our community. But that's not what God thought. And that's not what we're going to see the angel was about to say. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by the sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of of others, the the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby. There was that baby lying in the manger. Yes, the shepherds were terrified. Yes, this was an unlikely audience. But God saw them very differently. I believe that God was making a statement when he went to the shepherds. I believe that he was making a statement that the kingdom of God isn't just for the important people, for those of influence, or better called, the insiders. But God went to outsiders, like shepherds. You see, I think oftentimes we have this all backwards. We, we kind of have the kingdom of God backwards. I mean, I mean, even think about who God called to be the mother and the father of his son. Just like Mary and Joseph from a small town, low income, and had no name to themselves, God had handpicked them to be the mother and father of his child. The kingdom of God is not just for important people. It's for all people. And that's actually the Advent message. It reminds us that the kingdom of God is often not the noble and the wise, but the underclass, the people that have little to no influence. Emmanuel means this, God with us. Emmanuel means this, God with all People, Emmanuel is actually a name that's an invitation for everyone and anyone who has ears to hear and hearts that are willing to be receptive. The shepherds weren't just an unlikely audience. They were a picture of what this unlikely king would be. The good shepherd, better said, the shepherd king. Let me read to you a a prophecy from Isaiah 40. And I think this is so important for us to understand that that God was calling his son to be a shepherd king. It says in Isaiah 40, Yes, the, the sovereign Lord is coming in power, he will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. If the shepherds knew anything about Scripture, they knew that the Messiah would be God's shepherd to God's people. That was their hope they knew that even though other people did not respect their vocation, this is what they understood, that scripture portrays shepherding as a high calling. And not only a high calling, but actually as one of the highest forms of leadership. And so if there was anything in that moment, that that from the moment from the angels had made the announcement to the journey to the child... They had realized at some point that, wow, the shepherd in Scripture has influence. Even though in the world's eyes there is no influence, in God's eyes, we are the picture of how God loves his people. And this child, the shepherd king, is who we are going to worship. We're going to see the shepherd of God's people. God refers himself to the shepherd of Israel in multiple places. In Genesis 48, Genesis 49, Jeremiah 31, God refers himself as Israel's shepherd. We see in King David's famous psalm, he declares, the Lord is my shepherd. Isaiah the prophet declares the role of the Messiah, the good shepherd. And we see in John 10.10 that Jesus even calls himself, the good shepherd. Christ wouldn't be, a, wouldn't be a Caesar who ruled by ego. Jesus would not be a, a ruler like Herod who would govern by fear. No, this child, Jesus, the shepherd king, would rule God's people like a good shepherd. He would shepherd his people. He would care for his flock. He would love his flock so much that he would actually take on the role of a sheep. And he would sacrifice himself for all of humanity. And so, really, you see all of a sudden why God used this unlikely audience for his big announcement. God was not only sending his son to be the good shepherd. God was sending his son to be the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb. Remember what, what John the Baptist said? Look, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was fitting for God to entrust himself to shepherds first. Shepherds would be the first to hold the lamb of God and they would be the first to bow before their new king. And here's another little side note that I, that I really do want to point out. When you look at how God called a king, who was the best, strongest, most influential king in, in Israel? It was David, a shepherd king. And so when you look at David shepherding the people of God, that was an image speaking to the future of who Christ would be. But the difference is this. Christ wouldn't only be a shepherd king. He would be the lamb who would lay down his life as a sacrifice for everyone. That's the gospel. Anyone who believes in the name of Jesus shall be saved. And because of his sacrifice of his life, Everyone who believes in the name of Jesus has the remission of sin and gets to step into eternity with God. What an amazing picture that we see all throughout Scripture, all throughout the history of Scripture. There is always a consistency with God. There's always a rhythm to God. There's always a plan when you look at Scripture. And unfortunately, our plans are very different than God's plans. The way that we would announce things are very different than how God announced things. But but here's what I find very interesting about the shepherds. The shepherds had a role in the gospel. And it wasn't just to be the the first to see this shepherd king, this Christ child, the lamb that would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. That was part of their role, but, but it was more to this. They were so excited that the shepherds actually became the first missionaries. Look what it says in verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And so what we see in Scripture is that that right away the shepherds go, they worship, they bow before their king, and then they take it to the streets. In the middle of the night, they are declaring that the Christ child... The Messiah was in their village. They ran around knocking on doors, shouting, screaming, letting everybody know that their Messiah, their Christ child, the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sins of the world, was sleeping in a manger. And I think about all the Christmas carols that are just kind of running through our mind and, and, and songs that we are singing on Sunday mornings or listening to the car, in our cars. And, and think about this one. Think about the shepherds running all throughout Bethlehem saying this. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The people living in Bethlehem had been living in fear under a regime. And the angels were declaring, no more fear, because our hope is in a manger. Bethlehem was one moment asleep, and the next moment woke to the cheers of the shepherd. How about this Christmas carol? The shepherds running around singing, joy to the Lord, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive its peace. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive its peace. Whatever pretenses they had or others had about the shepherds, what we realize is that the message they were sharing overshadowed any suspicions of these men. No matter what people thought about the shepherds back then, in this moment, their message overshadowed any suspicions they would have had of these men. These men were the first missionaries. The shepherds were the first missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Men who we will never know their names. But yet their lives were written in the pages of history. Men, we will never know their names, but their lives were written in the pages of history. And not just history, but the most sacred book of all, the living word, the Bible. And how true is this? For so many missionaries, nameless people who have proclaimed the name that Jesus is the king, the Christ king, the Christ child. I just want to send a charge out to all the missionaries throughout the world. If if for some reason you have clicked on this message and you are one of those people that feel nameless, what we see in this passage and what's most important for you right now, God knows your name. God knows your life. God sees you running throughout the towns and cities and villages, near and far, as far as the east is to to the west, throughout the globe. God knows your name. And the only thing that matters is that you, you today are written in the history of heaven. So how do we walk away from this passage? An unlikely announcement to an unlikely audience. How do, we, how do we grasp this? What do we walk away needing to learn? Not wanting to learn. What do we need to walk away needing to learn about this upside down narrative? First is God has always used unlikely audiences. God has always used Unlikely people to be part of his unlikely plan. And he's also used an unlikely audience to proclaim his announcement. God was declaring the kingdom of God isn't just for what we would call important people. God did not go to Augustus. God did not go to, 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 to the to the castles. He did not go to the big cities. He did not go to the who's who's, but instead he went to the shepherds. He went to those who were awake. And not only physically awake, but those whose hearts were positioned to be spiritually awake. People who are most likely ready for the gospel are probably not an audience we often think of. Rather, God is always thinking of them. I I just want to read to you something that I wrote as I was putting this sermon together. I wrote this, throughout the whole gospel narrative, God always used unlikely people to do extraordinary things. And I wrote this, little teachable moment, most people are trying to be like the wrong Most people want to act and behave like Augustus. When really, the greatest people that we can learn from are simpletons, like shepherds, like Mary, like Joseph. Second thing that we learn, an unlikely announcement. This narrative began, and it's so important as you look at Scripture to see how the narrative began. The narrative began with Augustus taking a census, announcing his reign, a temporary reign. What Augustus was doing was a power move. He was going to prove something to humanity at that time, that he was king. God had shared his announcement of peace that would come through this Christ child to bring peace on earth. The child who would save humanity by sacrificing himself. Because of his sacrifice, Jesus, the child lying in that manger, would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, greater than that of Caesar Augustus. Jesus was going to sacrifice his life, and because of his sacrifice, because of his obedience, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that this child is Christ the Lord. An unlikely announcement to an unlikely audience. And so I want to leave you with a little missional challenge. Like the shepherds, share the Christmas narrative. Here's your missional challenge. Like the shepherds, share the christmas message. Let me let me give you one more christmas carol. Go tell it on the mountains, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ is born. Be like the shepherds and share your christmas narrative. Because when you share the christmas narrative that you believe and you have experienced, trust me, there will always be someone who is listening. Plant family, we're going to go into a song of worship. And I want to really challenge you to really rethink how you look at how you handle information. Do you behave like that of Augustus, or do you live like that of a shepherd? How do you you view, what's your perspective, and what's your purpose? Plant family, I want to challenge you to look at these shepherds and really learn how to mirror their lives, being faithful to what God has called you to, but being those who are willing to shout it from the rooftops and sharing the Christmas narrative. Allow this song of worship to just stir your hearts where you are willing to say, yes, like those shepherds, I'm taking the message to the streets. Planned family, God has called us to the bergen Passaic region for a reason. And if you're not part of our local context, God has called you to where you are living for a reason. Whether you are in New York City, whether you're in Hawaii, whether you're in upstate New York, or whether you're somewhere globally and you've been following us, here's what I want to challenge you with. God has called you for such a time as this, that you would be the audience to take the gospel announcement and you would share it with the world. Because remember this, every time you share the gospel message, someone is listening. Remember, Plant Family, we are praying with you, and we're praying for you. Have a great day. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.